This whole month, we're looking at just how do we interact with one another. And uh, God has desired us to be in relationship with him, but also in relationship with one another. And any time that you have any kind of a relationship with some other human being, there are going to be problems. So that's what we want to look at is, is how do we begin to navigate these relationships that God has really intended for us to have. And this morning, you've got to understand there's a difference between conflict and opposition. Conflict, I mean, obviously would include opposition, and conflict is maybe the general idea. But when you get into true opposition, where you've got one person that believes a certain thing, expects a, thir- a certain thing, desires something very specific, and when that goes totally against somebody else's desires, beliefs, or expectations, you have this all-out clash, this all-out war, because those two individuals have very, not just different opinions or different beliefs, but they end up being very opposing Beliefs, desires, or expectations which cause a major, major clash. Case in point, I know we already mentioned it. You've got patriots opposing the, uh, the rest of the world, quite honestly. And it's not just a, well, we disagree. No, it's like we are battling to the death. It's an opposition. It's something that is, is in the, the, the very center of who you are and sometimes we walk into opposition by our own choice. We want our voice to be heard. We, we want people to know where we stand. Sometimes opposition is, is brought to us. We get pulled into it, and we wouldn't desire to be brought into it. But, but we deal with opposition on all kinds of different levels. And again, we want to know, well, what am I supposed to do in the midst of opposition? How do I respond? How do I react? How do I get my voice heard? So that's where you see you know, these wonderful Facebook posts from people. You get nasty emails and letters that we send, and and we have all sorts of venues or mechanisms for responding to opposition. Protests are a way of of voicing what we believe, and that's not, I'm not anti-protest, please hear that, I mean, great changes happen because of protests, and and I myself, I've never been part of a march, I've never been part of a protest, but I was trying to think through, Brian, if, if I was going to be part of a protest, if I was going to make my beliefs known of what I stand for and what I believe so much that I would, would it be part of some kind of protest, what would it be? So, of course, I started thinking, man, everything that I believe, everything that I desire, everything that I expect, which opposition do I believe so much in that I would hold a sign, I would walk around in any of those things? And I, I, I found one. And, uh, I mean, this is core to who I am. It's a very center of what I believe and what I would desire to to happen as we move forward, and it's very fitting in just our culture currently. And, and I'm not the only one that believes this way. There's, there's obviously on both sides, anytime you have something that's opposed, you're going to have another side to it. So if you're on the other side, please understand, I mean no disrespect. I, I'm not trying to offend you. Um, but there's actually a group of preschoolers that believe the exact same thing I do. And there it is. I am done with winter. Bring on spring. Bring on spring. Bring on spring. I am so tired of cold, wet rain. Amen? Amen. Can you stand? Would you rise with me, Mountain Lake Church? (laughs) No, I love this. I think that's just brilliant. You have a bunch of preschoolers that said, we're done with this winter thing. So they did. They made a protest. Ended up actually, this was a few years ago, they ended up marching around Town Square and outside the mayor's office trying to get the mayor, to no joke, to get the mayor to bring spring up just a little bit sooner. No, there's always things that are going to be opposed in our life. 
And we can laugh about this and we can laugh about some of the, the maybe the silly things that we would find other people against us. Driving is a great example. You can kind of laugh about that now. But there's all sorts of people that you run, not literally run into, maybe so for you, but people that we interact with on the road that would oppose us or be against us. I think of my children's bedtime routine and how often they oppose me and my wife as they yell nasty things at us while we try to run them, chase them down and brush their teeth and get them in pajamas. We can laugh about those things, right? Well, now, you know, over therapy, I'm able to laugh about those things. But there's serious sides to this opposition as well. How do we respond with a boss that is just out to get us, it feels like? Or a friend who has stabbed us in the back and, and, and has been spreading all kinds of lies and rumors about us. How do we deal with that kind of opposition? What about the, the in-law who has been manipulative and divisive and is beginning to just tear your family apart? We all have relationships that deal with opposition on varying levels. So the very simple but yet complex question is, what opposition are you facing and how do we respond to that? Biblically, how do we respond to the opposition we know we're going to face? The opposition that we have faced, did we do it the right way? The opposition we're currently facing. And if for some reason those two categories don't apply to you, just sit tight, it's going to happen eventually, (laughs) probably very soon. We will always run into people, because we are people, that are against us for some reason or another. That we deal with opposition, the question is, how do we respond to that? So, to look at that, if you've got your Bibles, head over to Nehemiah, book of Nehemiah. And you just need to know, uh, if you are in any kind of leadership role, if you're in any kind of management role, if you interact with people on any kind of basis, any form of regularity, you need to go through and read Nehemiah. If you've read it once before, great, read it, uh, read it again. If you've never read it before, you need to jump in. In fact, I'm going to give you uh, some homework this week. I'm going to actually preach through six chapters of Nehemiah this morning. So I hope you don't have Super Bowl plans because we're going to be here for a while. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Six chapters, and obviously I'm not going to be able to cover everything. So this week, I want you to read one chapter a day all the way through chapter six. Now, there are more chapters in Nehemiah. At least get through that part. Because as far as opposition goes, you're going to be able to see his responses to opposition in chapters one through six. And then there's great stories right after that. So tomorrow morning, wake up and say, Brian told me to read Nehemiah chapter one. Read Nehemiah one. Then the next day, read Nehemiah two. Get through this week, chapters one through six, one a day. And I'm going to cover kind of the highlights here. And what you need to know, starting off, if you don't know anything about it, let me give you some context. What had happened to Jerusalem is it had been totally just destroyed. In fact, at the time of Nehemiah, he was actually living in exile and in captivity. The Babylonians came in, destroyed Jerusalem, the Israelites, the Jews' city, their home, totally destroyed. Walls turned to rubble and ruins. And many of those Israelites, those Jews, they just fled. They scattered all over the place. Some of them were actually taken as slaves and taken into captivity. Others were just in exile. And what we see is there's a people that no longer have a home. Because they have been spread apart and they have been all over the place. And so Nehemiah finds himself actually in captivity. And when he hears about what had happened to his home and just his heart broke, you can read about that in chapter 1. So tomorrow you'll read about his broken heart. But he has this heart for his people to have their home once again. So he has the ideas, he prayed with God, I'm going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So he goes to the king at the time, not the king of the Jews, but the king of those that had been taken the Jews over into captivity. And says, king, can I, can I have permission to go and rebuild the walls. The king is gracious, says yes, and Nehemiah begins to get his workforce together. He begins to get his materials, and then he goes to the area and sees the walls for himself. He says, we need to begin to rebuild these walls. 
And the, the workers, the builders are all excited. And, and finally, the rest of the Jewish people are starting to gather together like, this is great. Our home is becoming our home once again. We can begin to move back home to our city as the walls begin to be rebuilt. So a lot of people, especially Nehemiah, his workers, and the Jews were so excited about this endeavor. But as we know about opposition, when one group of people are really excited, there's bound to be another group of people that are very against it. And in fact, these three people groups, they have a leader. Each one of them has a different leader, Sandalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. You don't have to remember those names. Don't worry. But each of those are leaders in these different people groups around that area of Jerusalem. They were not excited that Nehemiah and his people were beginning to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because they felt threatened by the Jews. They thought, well, if the Jews begin to move back home, they're going to keep pushing us out like they had done before. In fact, the Jews did that. When God handed them the promised land, those were two out of those three were people groups that got moved out of the way so God could bring the Israelites in. So they had reasons to not like the Jews. So as Nehemiah and his builders began to rebuild the wall, these three people groups began to oppose them in every way that they possibly could. And that's what we're going to look at. There's five instances where those people groups opposed and went against Nehemiah and the Jews. And I want you to pay attention to how Nehemiah responded. I'm just going to give you a context of each of those examples, and then we're going to dig into scripture on how Nehemiah responded. That's the important part. We all deal with opposition. You can kind of fill in the blanks on that one, but we need to see it God's word. How did Nehemiah actually respond to those different instances of opposition? So here's where it starts, chapter 2. Again, as I said, they began to build the wall. They were excited, but those three, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, were not pleased and so they started doing what most people do, kind of a low-level opposition. They began to mock them, began to ridicule them, began to throw insults at them. And here is what Nehemiah did. Here's how he first responded to this opposition. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20, here's his response. I answered them, this is Nehemiah giving the narrative. He says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us, and what's that say? Success. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, he's talking to the three that oppose him, those people groups, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Now, what's going to help out? That, I'm going to do five of those. That's going to be a lot for you to remember. So I'm going to give you five words. One word's easier than you know, five bunch of sentences here. So the word I want you to keep in mind, how he responded to opposition is this word here. What's that word? Can you read my handwriting? Remember, yes, that's his first response to opposition. When, when Tobiah, Geshem, and Sambalat started throwing insults and ridiculing and mocking Nehemiah and the rest of the builders, his response, which he did respond to them. There's times where we don't respond. There's times to respond. Here's he actually responded back. But he didn't respond in the way that we might think or even they expected. He just went straight to God. He says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us, and what was that word you said out loud? Success. Well, it doesn't matter what insult. He doesn't mention anything about the ridicule, the insults, the name calling, none of that. All the messages that were coming from his opposition, he didn't listen to any of it. He said, Well, God's going to take care of this. God's got my back. God's already promised me success. You have no part in this. This is between us and God. See, instead of kind of doing this back and forth, back and forth in insults, he just went straight to God and said, Well, God's, God's going to give us success. You know, we walk through life and we get all kinds of messages thrown at us. What people think about us, what people say about us, what people believe about us. And you've really got two choices, same as Nehemiah. You can let that pierce your heart 
Or you can let it, I mean, it's still going to sting and hurt, but you keep it away from your heart. You know that old phrase, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words when it, yeah, it, it, it's such a lie, because <laughs> words most certainly do hurt. But our decision is, do I let those words pierce my heart? Do I take it to heart? Or do I just let it hit me in a shoulder? Man, it's definitely hurt, and that's definitely going to sting, but I'm going to guard my heart, and I'm going to listen more to what God thinks of me, what God says to me, what God believes about me. Remember who I am and who God says I am. Remember who I am to God. Remember what God has promised me. And then I just let those other messages, man, it's going to sting and it's going to hurt, but I'm not going to let it hit my heart. That's Nehemiah's very first response. Remember who God is, remember who he is to God, and remember what God has promised him. Well, as you can imagine, this didn't work <laughs> to the opposing forces, the opposing people. They didn't get the, the response from Nehemiah that they were expecting, or maybe they were even hoping for. They, they wanted a battle. And so it escalates, doesn't it? Anytime that there's no response, it, the opposition begins to escalate, and we see that happen next. So those three people groups, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they escalate. It's not just insults anymore, it's anger. Scripture tells us in chapter 4 that they became angry and even incensed. In other words, they were just burning with rage. It's not just, well, yeah, you're dumb for trying to build a wall. I'm sure it sounded just like that when they insulted them. It escalated to anger, hatred, and rage. And here is how Nehemiah responded the second time he faced opposition. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are, that, what's that word back there? Despised. And if you've ever felt despised, this is going to resonate with you. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. Now, let me just point out something very important here. This deals a lot with the theology uh, that we live today, um, and young kids understand this probably better than we do. The end of, kind of the middle of verse 4, it says, turn their insults back on their own heads. This is the first ever recorded instance in scripture where someone said, I am rubber, you are glue. What you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. That's in there. So parents, when your kids say that, technically Nehemiah prayed it, <laughs> turn their insults back on their own heads. It's not me, it's now back on you and do these, all, all these other things to them. No, but here's your one word for how he responded in the second time. What's that word? Hands. Hands. He has another choice in how he responds to the opposition. Do I take matters into my own hands? Or do I put matters into God's hands? Now notice, he responded to them there. He actually spoke back to them. Here, he doesn't even respond to them. No, this is a straight prayer to God. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder. Don't cover up their guilt. All of those things. He's saying, God, you take care of them. And very easily, Nehemiah could do what we probably would want to do. Take matters into our own hands and, and deal with it ourselves. To, well, they're angry. Well, so am I. And we begin to match them emotionally. We begin to match their opposition. But Nehemiah simply prayed a profound prayer of God. We're despised. I'm giving you full control. We're not going to do anything except, go back to verse 6, we rebuilt the wall till half of it reached its height. Till I'm sorry, until it reached half its height for all the people worked with all their hearts. In other words, 
God, I'm going to put this opposition in your hands, and we're going to keep using our hands to do what we were called to do. He did not take a detour. He did not get distracted. Hands. How do you respond in opposition? Well, you put matters into God's hands, and you keep using your hands for what God has asked you to do, for what God has called you to do. It escalates once again. I hope you see the theme. There's escalation through this entire endeavor. Those three people groups got even more upset. He didn't even give us a response. What they said and their anger went almost unnoticed. So now they took it to the next level. Those three people groups, not just through insults, were not just angry, but now they began to plot and plan and scheme against Nehemiah and the builders to the point where they came up with a plan to fight against them physically, to actually go in and kill Nehemiah and the rest of his builders. In the midst of that kind of a plot, look at how Nehemiah responds. Verse 9, still in chapter 4. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. You noticing the theme of prayer throughout this whole thing? Praying first. It says, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Here's your third word. Aware. Aware. See, so often we, we put matters into God's hands or we try to put matters into God's hands and then we just say, well, God's got it and it'll be taken care of. That's great faith, but you need to know there's a line of faith and foolish. God has also given us a brain and he's given us instincts. He's given us, or if we don't have the wisdom, discernment, and insight, he says, ask for wisdom, discernment, and insight and I'll give you wisdom. He tells if you're not wise, ask for it because you need it and I'd like to give it to you. And I'll make sure you have it. See, Nehemiah prayed, yes, but he was also very aware of, and it even says here, of the threat, and he did something about it. So it says he prayed, we don't know exactly what he prayed, probably something along of God help us, <laughs> which is what he'd been praying prior. He says, God, I'm going to put matters into your own hands, you need to help us, but we're still going to do what we can. We're going we're gonna to try to be prepared for this. We're going to be aware that, yes, there's a very real, very serious threat, so we're going to post a guard day and night to keep watch so that we are not caught off guard. See, he didn't just pray and then leave it alone. He prayed with faith, but he also said, but God's also given me just wisdom. If we're about to be attacked, maybe we should put a guard out to watch for it. Good idea. <laughs> That's common sense, and he doesn't walk away from common sense or wisdom. So as you're facing opposition, yes, pray, but are you also aware? It's not a good idea to just keep your head in the sand and assume everything will work out just fine. No, we do have a part to play in this. What does it look like to be prepared, to do your very best all the time when people are watching and when people are not watching? Are you prepared, but are you first aware? We have to make sure we stay aware instead of just assuming that our prayers will go the way that we want them to go. Because it's not that God's not going to answer a prayer, it's the fact that he might answer it differently. So we need to continue to be very aware. That's your third one. All right, now the fourth one, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they change they change strategies here. This escalation of insults and anger and now threats is not working, so they do something a little different. They actually send Nehemiah four notes, four messages. And each of those messages said the same thing, and it was basically, hey, we're really sorry for the misunderstanding, our bad. We would love to just meet you. Could you come out, Nehemiah, and meet us? And they give a location. Could you meet us? And maybe we can talk. Maybe we can just figure this out. Maybe we can work on a compromise. But come out and meet us. They sent that message four different times. And I want you to see how Nehemiah 
responded still to that opposition, even though the plans and the schemes, the strategies of his opponent had changed. The last part of verse 2 in chapter 6. Nehemiah says this, but they were scheming to harm me. There's that wisdom again. He recognizes, well, here's what they've already done. Hmm, this may not be a meeting with good intentions. <laughs> we can make that assumption. But they were scheming to harm me, so, verse 3, I sent messengers to them with this reply. Here's his reply back to his three opponents. He says, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? That's it. I'm in the middle of something really big, guys. I mean, I think you're aware of us building the wall. I can't stop. Why should I stop just to go down and meet you? Verse 4, four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Very simple, isn't it? His response. Um, no, <laughs> I, I can't go and meet you. I'm busy doing this. This is what I'm set to do. So it doesn't make sense for me to stop what I'm doing just to come and talk with you. Here's your fourth word for Nehemiah's response. Steady. Steady. Four different times they sent that same message. And Nehemiah sent the same response all four times. See, it's in our nature, it's our tendency to escalate our responses, isn't it? Well, I just told you I'm not going to meet you. Okay, you know what? That, you, you send me that letter one more time. Oh, I am going to meet you. I'm going to bring my whole army with me. And then we're going to see what's up. You start to match their emotions. But he stays so steady, doesn't he? He says, no. I'm not going to come and meet you because it doesn't make sense for me to leave while I go and talk with you. My job, my goal is to build this wall, not work things out with you. In this case, in Nehemiah's case, that was the goal. And he remained super steady, not just in his response, but his emotional response. He did not get all worked up. He did not match their emotions. He stayed even keel, stayed steady through the entire process, and we lack that. We desire it, but yet we tend to lack it where we allow the opposition to get under our skin, right? We allow them to bother us, or as my mom would say, you're all hot and bothered. <laughs> Nehemiah stayed, stayed steady. He gave the right response, and he gave it time and time again. Last one. Here's the fifth one. So then those three people groups, they actually sent one more message, a fifth message, they got the same response back to their same message four times. The fifth one, they changed it up yet again. This time, and this is going to probably hit you more at home, this time they began to attack his character. Because what they did is they wrote a much longer letter, a message to Nehemiah, and said, well, if you're not going to meet with us, then we're going to tell everybody else what you're really doing, Nehemiah, that you're actually planning to take on kingship, that you're going to revolt against the king so that you can now be king, and you're going to rebel against the entire empire, and we're going to go tell the king what you're really doing, because he probably doesn't know that. They begin to just build this fabrication and lie and says, if you don't come and meet with us, then that's what we're going to start telling people. They attack his character. They attack his integrity. They are trying to discredit him, to, to wedge him in a corner. Well, he'll have to meet on their terms and meet up with their demands. Here's his response back. Verse 8 out of chapter 6. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head, period. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, 
no, not true, yeah, just send that. <laughs> that's it. He didn't go back and said, well, you know, on this point, let me tell you why that's not. He didn't defend himself. I mean, hear that. In the midst of opposition, he did not defend himself or feel the need to explain himself. He just said, it's not true. God knows my heart. My people know my heart. That's enough for me. Can I give you permission to not meet your opposition with explanations, excuses, and defense sometimes? I'm not saying all the time because he responded in different ways. So you have to know your situation. But there are times where it's okay to say nothing, basically. You know, that's not true, and leave it at that. He was not going to get into it with them, basically. Even though there's major opposition, he was okay saying, it's not true, and that's enough for me. Here's your word for this one. Let me finish reading the last part of it. He says, nothing like that you're saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Verse 9, they were all just trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, there it is again, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Here's your last word. Strength. He responded very steadily, said, it's not true. Say what you want, but it's not true. And then he prayed, hey, they're, God, they're just trying to intimidate me. They're just trying to get me to, to lose focus. They're trying to weaken me with me being worried and distracted. So God says, I prayed, strengthen mine. And what did he ask for strength on? To what strengthen his what? Strengthen his hands. Hands. He didn't say, God, give me the power to overcome them. God, give me the right words so I can ridicule them. No, he says, God, give me the strength to carry on. That's what he's praying. God, give me the strength to make it through this opposition. Because you got to know, even though it might not have pierced his heart, it definitely is hurting. Here's a leader trying to lead his people back home and do what needs to be done. And he is fighting off the opposition of these other people groups in a variety of different ways. So he says, God, help me to finish strong. God, help me to make it through my opposition. Give me the strength in my hands to finish the work that I started. Opposition has a way of distracting us sideways energy, if you've heard that phrase. He says, God, give me the focus, give me the strength to finish what I've started, to finish what started with a broken heart because I knew where my people's walls were, where the walls of Jerusalem had been. Help me to finish strong. Out of all of these instances of opposition, Nehemiah could have responded in a lot of different ways. Retaliation, revenge, he could have quit he could have done all kinds of different things. But as we see, there's some threads throughout all of this. Prayer being a, one, a big one of them, a main one. He prayed first a lot of different times. Sometimes he responded. Sometimes he didn't. He just prayed. But he put matters into God's hands. He kept doing his work. He kept steady and even keel through the entire time. And he prayed that God would give him the strength to make it through. See, it's interesting that to this point, God has not taken away the opposition. They're still opposing him. God says, I'll give you the strength to keep going to get through it. Let me tell you how this ends. Still in chapter 6, verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, this being the completion of the wall. When all of our enemies heard about the fact that we finished the wall, listen to this. All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. 
all of those that opposed them, now, seeing that it's all done, look what happened, that they lost their self-confidence and they were afraid. Why? Scripture says because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. They realized God was involved. Even though God didn't take the opposition away, God was obviously and evidently involved. Three main groups of this, this account. You've got Nehemiah and the builders, you've got those that oppose them, and you have God. Those that oppose are doing this, and Nehemiah is trying to respond in the right way, praying to God, asking for strength, doing all the things we talked about, and God lets that happen. He does not take the opposition away, but he stays involved. He stays very involved and gives him and the builders the strength to continue to make it through. God did not take away the opposition. He allowed Nehemiah to walk through all of these. And as you read this week, one through six, you're going to see even more. Now, here's what I'm hoping this kind of helps us with, because this is all going to point to this. If you don't like math, I'm about to lose you for just about five minutes. If you like math, you're a little weird, but you're going to love this. All right, here's what we got. I want you to see exactly what he did. If you pull all of this up, how do, we, how do we package this in a way? How do we remember this in a way that we can begin to do this regular? Here's kind of the formula. You've got RT, the right thing, plus the right way, plus every time. Are you with me so far, mathematicians? All right, good. Multiply that over time. That's the patience piece. It has to happen over time, and then you'll be at your goal. There's our formula for dealing with not just opposition, but just relationships where there's a goal in mind anyway. Our lead pastor, Chris Simmons, walked our staff through this because believe it or not, church people have a hard time with opposition too. I don't know if you're aware of that. Even staff members, churches as a whole, we all deal with it. So here's a formula that kind of helps spell it out. The right thing. Do you have the right thing at heart? Is it the motivation? What's your intentions? The right thing. You see that throughout Nehemiah. The right thing plus the right way. You have to know the right way to do it. You ever know, you know the, well, I did the right thing, I said the right thing, I just did not do it in the right way? Do you understand the importance of having both of those? <laughs> yes, husbands, you should really be nodding your head right now. Right thing, right way, both are important, because it's not what you say, it's, there you go. But you can't just do it one time, consistency is key. You have to keep doing it every single time. The right thing, right heart, right way, right mind, do it every time consistently, but you can't just do that, well, I just did it for a week, why is it not working? No. Patience, Ooh, I cringed when I say that word. Patience, you keep doing this over a long period of time. Nehemiah, this took time and time again, weeks and weeks, to finally get to the goal. For Nehemiah, the goal was building the wall. So when he dealt with opposition, he did the right thing, he did it the right way, he did it consistently every time, and he just kept being patient. Now let me show you a scripture that really pulls this up. Throw that Galatians scripture up there. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. I want us to read this together. So not just me. Read it with me. It says, let us become... No, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hey, mute me for a second back there, Mark. Mute, hit mute. Because... Cool, thank you, that's much better. Look at how this works. Let us not become weary in doing what? 
good. Here's your good. The right thing, the right way. That's good. When you're talking about doing things that are good, it's the right thing, right heart, right way, right mind. But don't become weary. In other words, do it every time. There's the consistency. Do good. Don't become weary. For at the proper time, there's your overtime because we have to be patient. You mean if I do this just like this weekend, it's not going to be better on Monday? Not necessarily. I would say probably not. Over time. If we are not weary in doing good and over time, the proper time, then we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. There's your goal. We want to know how to deal with opposition in a way that honors God and our relationships with others. There it is. The right thing, the right way, every time, over time. Keep doing that. So last thing I want you to do with me, because many of you, you're like, I got lost when you started with the parentheses. So here's what I want you to do with me. You got this, this card when you came in on the backs of the spot for your notes. Even if you're not taking notes, I want you to write down something for me. I want you to write down a current opposition that may be a person, that may be a situation, that may be an environment. Make it as broad as you want. If your current opposition is sitting next to you, I encourage you to use initials, not a first and last name. Right way, people, is not writing the full name where they can see you. All right. So I want you to write down a current opposition, or maybe a, a recent opposition, or maybe an opposition you face. Might be something to do with your family, might be a, a current situation that you're just dealing with, a, a job environment, a home environment. It could be a specific individual. I want you to literally write down, write down what that opposition might be, or at least get it in your mind. At least get it in your mind. Let me write mine down. We're going to do exactly what Nehemiah did just about every time first. We're going to pray over it. We're going to pray over that opposition. We're going to pray over that relationship. And then your job, just like Nehemiah's job, was to strengthen my hands, give me strength to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. Right thing, right way, every time, over the course of time. That's your job. So let's go ahead and pray. With this in mind, whatever your opposition is, let's pray over it. God, thank you so much for the lessons we learn in your word. God, that we are not intended to go through life and relationships on our own to figure it out by ourselves, but you give us the tools that we need. Thank you for using Nehemiah's story to impact us in the current relationships and op opposition that we face. Whatever those oppositions are, God, as we have them on the front of our mind, we ask you to simply help. We know that the opposition may not be taken away, but God, help us to respond with wisdom Help us to respond with the right heart. Help us to respond consistently and steadily. And God, give us the endurance as we remain patient. Strengthen our resolve. Whatever goal you've laid before us, God, strengthen us to make it through, even in the face of opposition. And let us be okay with the fact that there is opposition. To not allow the words and the messages of other people to take priority over the words that you speak directly to our heart. May we hold tightly to what you think, say, and believe about each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.